I'm on. There we go. Hey, guys. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19 today. We are moving along in this series. We are getting there. Uh, Acts 19. Today we're going to be uh, <clears throat> talking about faith. Well, okay, so we're at church. That's a good word to talk about. Um, but I will say, I'll say this. We're going to look at some things this morning, and it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm giving you like the little pre-warning about that because don't, don't um, withdraw from that or kind of shut that down because when we look at God's word, and if we feel a little bit uncomfortable, that usually means that God is loosening something, like if our heart's hard or uh, we're set in a certain way that God wants to loosen that. He wants to wake us up. He wants to redirect us. And so uh, let's lean into that today if, if some of this kind of, it, it kind of made me uncomfortable as I was working on it, so uh, it might you as well. So we're talking about faith. Before we get to the text, I want to set this up. And, um, and I know that this really could be a longer list, but I want to offer as a starting point, because I see it in the text today, when we talk about faith, I, I see four different perspectives on faith. I see four different ways that you could, if you had to name how a person's faith was being lived into or carried out or that kind of thing, I see that in this text, and I want to highlight those, those uh, different I don't know, I don't want to say levels, but just like perspectives on faith before we look at the text so then you can see them as we go. So, and the thing is, and the reason I want to do this is because it's not just here in the text. I see these perspectives on faith in 2023, just like I see them here in this text. So here's a couple that I, I see. First is uh, what I would call a lacking faith. Lacking faith. We're talking about perspectives on faith. What I see in the text and I see today is a lacking faith. Some people will say, I have no faith at all. And you can kind of go two ways with that. There are some who are like, I lack faith, but I desire to know more. And that's a great place to be. And you're in a great place if that's you today. You're in a good place to be here so you can hear about this. We want to walk alongside you as a church as you want to know more about faith. So some people go, you know, I lack faith, but I want to know more, okay? But then there's the other side of lacking faith. And it might be those who've said, you know what? I've heard the message. I've heard the information. I've heard the details. And I don't want it. I've rejected faith. So they still lack the faith, but they've chosen to not have it versus... I, it's out there, I just want to uh, understand it more. And the thing, the, the sad part about that version of lacking faith, and I guess the good news about the other side, of, if you want it, is that the only thing, the only thing that God wants from you and from me, the only thing is for us to believe in him. The only thing he wants is for us to believe in him, his totality. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The only thing he wants from us is our faith. And once we lean into that, that's when he reveals himself to us. That's when he gives us a hunger for more and a desire for more. And we want to know his word and we want to be in his presence. We want to worship him. All he wants from us is faith. And so when we look at this, we see a perspective, we're going to see it in the text, of someone who's lacking faith. They've rejected it. Um, now, another, so there's lacking faith. Here's another perspective, is what I call drifting faith. And honestly, I think this is where a whole lot of people could put themselves. Drifting faith, right? This may be some of you today. Um, 
You know, maybe, and it's not always like a horrible thing. Sometimes I think stuff's going so good in our life that we start to drift away from God. Maybe we had such a dependence on him and we were so like on our knees, on our face, crying out to God. You know, we couldn't get enough of his word because we needed to hear from him. We needed an answer. We needed hope. We needed promise. And, and then we got it. And it was like, yay. And then we just kind of drifted away from that intentional like seeking of the Lord. You know, and it can be a good thing. Then there's been times when stuff is just, our world has been shaken, and for whatever reason, we've drifted away. We're, we get so focused on, on what the, the problem might be or, the, or the, the obstacle that's in front of us that, that faith just kind of drifts away. You know when you go to the beach, I know I've used this example before, um, but you go to the beach, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, we definitely go at least once a year, and we go with like a crew of people, and so we go to the beach, and you set up camp, basically. It's like you have your tent, and your cooler, and your chairs, and your towels, and your stuff, and your beach toys, and everything, right? And you, you set it all up, and then you go out into the water. And you might be looking off into the ocean for a while, but then you, every now and then you turn around, and you're like, okay, where's our camp? Okay, there it is. And, and do you do this? And so, like, there's the camp, and you're like, this is another camp in. And then you're hanging out in the water for a while, and you're playing, you're throwing stuff, you're riding the wave, whatever you're doing. I like to just, I just stand out there. I'll stand out there, float out there, kind of go as far as I can and just hang out. And, um, and, and we're talking, and the next thing you know, you can look back and go, oh, dang, our camp's not there. Who moved our camp? Well, the camp didn't move. The camp's, like, way over there. We just drifted over. You know what I'm talking about? This is what you do. And so when you're at the beach, especially if you're a clump of people, then you go, okay, guys, we got to be back. And everyone's like, all right. So we're all, some people are swimming and we're all going back to, it's like our true north. We got to know where we need to be. We do this spiritually. It's like we, we set up our camp, you know, in our lives. What do we do? We set up, and this isn't a horrible thing, but it's like we have our home and our job and our house and our kids and the things that we're interested in, you know, all the add-ons that make a, a good beach experience good, you know. Like you don't just want to go out there and be parched and sitting under the sun. Like we want some stuff to be comfortable, right? So we set our lives up this way, and often we just, we just get into the routine of it, and the next thing you know, we're just drifting. We've just drifted away. We, we didn't even realize it. Like every now and then, you know, there, there's just a wave. You're like, whoa, that was fun. And then there's one that like knocks you over. You're like, oh, wow. And then, but you just drift away. We don't want to have a drifting faith. Listen, there's no neutrality with God. This is why I'm hammering this drifting part so much. There's no, you know what? I'm going to go wade out there into the water, and I'm going to have my true north, and, and that's everything. And, you know, yes, God, but then I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to try to stay in line with you. I'm not going to swim back when I need to. I'm not even going to recognize where I am. I'm just going to drift along with my life. And so many of us do this. There is no neutrality. We can't go, I know God's there, I believe in him, but I'm not really going to invest in it right now. I'm not really going to think about him right now. I know he's there, but I'm just going to drift. And we expect to be right in line with him, true north, when we want to be, but we've drifted so far off course. When we need him, we, don't, we, we, we can't find him. Well, he's there. We've just gotten off track, okay? So we go to the beach. We drift away. 
This is what we do. And I don't want us to do this in our regular, everyday lives to, to set up a tent and just be like that. So we've got, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm making a point here, I promise. Lacking faith, drifting faith. Let's not drift off. Let me say this part as well. With no neutrality. There's no agree to disagree with God, friends. There's no, I accept this part, but I don't accept this. There's no, I'm going to, I, you know. I, God, I accept everything about you except this. It's, it's all or nothing. And I think a reason a lot of us drift is that we struggle with maybe parts of what God calls us to or, or explains to us. Or we know from his word that when we read it, it, it convicts us. It might hurt us a little bit. And we don't want to deal with it. So we just drift away. We cannot remain in a neutral state. There is no such thing with God. There isn't. We're either moving towards him or away from him. No drifting. So we got to be honest with ourselves. The reason I'm highlighting these is one, I see them in the text, but two, I see them in our lives today. So we have lacking faith and drifting faith. And here's a third example is an incomplete faith, an incomplete faith. Now, again, I, see, I think this can be one of two ways you can look at this. There's the incomplete faith where um, you've been given a script and like you have the lingo, like you're, you're fluent in Christianese, you know the words to say, you know how to have the conversations and to say things every now and then, um, but your heart is no different. There's been no change in your life. Like there's been nothing you've been like, oh, this is who God is, and this is who Jesus is, and this is how the Holy Spirit wants to work in my life, and, and then I'm just going to be the same person I was yesterday. That's an incomplete faith. It's like you have the information and the words, but there's no living it out. Now, some have an incomplete faith because they haven't embraced the full message of the gospel. We're going to see this in the text. Some people just go through religious motions. Okay, It's like we have these religious boxes that we check, and we think, okay, this is a completion of my faith. Give you a couple of examples. My, my parents baptized me when I was an infant, so I'm good, right? Check. There's been no f faith in Jesus Christ. If there's been no, I believe, yes, I believe, uh, uh, a personal uh, understanding and expression of your faith, then that was a wonderful expression, but your faith is not complete if you have not had that belief of yourself. Okay, another box is maybe you grew up in a tradition where they had like a confirmation class or maybe even like a membership class of a church and you attended the class, but nothing changed in your life. You just did the class and then you checked the box, right? There's been no heart change. That's an incomplete faith. Or maybe, you know, you, it was the, the youth event or the revival or whatever it was and you went forward because you were moved in that moment, but there was no transformation. There was nothing beyond it. There was, there's no fruit to indicate that. But you go, I did that. I did that step. I, I did that thing. It was really hard. Like I was embarrassed kind of to get up and do it, but I did it. So that must mean I'm good. But there's a lack of completion there. Incomplete faith. You know, <clears throat> you do a, a school project and... Um, 
you turn it in and it comes back and, oh, an eye. Anyone ever had an eye on? No, don't raise your hand if you did it. I did. Here's the thing about incompletes. And I can be wrong here. Educators, you can come tell me different if I'm wrong. But I think when it comes to getting an incomplete, you either didn't know the information or you didn't care. I don't know if there's a middle ground in there. I thought about it. I don't see one. I know in my life, the times I got an incomplete, it's because I didn't care. And I think that's how we are with our faith sometimes. Maybe you have an incomplete faith because you just don't know the information yet. We're going to see it in the text. Or maybe you've received information and you don't care. I want us to examine. I want each of us to examine our hearts today. What does my faith look like? So we have a lacking faith, a drifting faith, an incomplete faith. And then this is the one. This is the one that I want us to reach for and, and strive for and, and, and go, yes, that's me. Or, yes, I want that to be me. And that is just real faith. It's just real faith. And what I mean by that is not that you are the champion of the faith competition. What that means is, is that you are pursuing God. What that means is, is that you are keenly aware of your need of a savior. You are keenly aware of your need for grace. You are keenly aware that your sins grieve the heart of the Father and you don't want that in your life and you want to you give that to him. You want to be done with that. You want to not have anything more to do with that. You want to run towards him, his, your true north. You're keenly aware of that. And when that happens, then you go, okay, with real faith in, then my words, my thoughts, my actions, these things are going to be daily examples Daily examples of the fruit of his spirit in my life. His spirit in my life. That you know with real faith that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other way. He's the only one. You utterly depend on this truth. Acts 19 gives us these examples of faith. Beginning in verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Apollos was a teacher. Actually, there was a point in Apollos' life, he had an incomplete faith. He didn't know it all. He only knew up to John the Baptist. That's all he had. But he was a really gifted speaker and teacher. And like people were like going, oh, this is really interesting. Let's prepare the way for whoever the Lord's going to be. And he was really good. He finally did uh, through Priscilla and Aquila, who were in ministry with Paul. They were like, hey, Apollos, we want to tell you about Jesus. And he was like, yes. This is the completion of the story. So he went from an incomplete faith to a, a real faith. So now Paul, so now he's doing ministry. So he's in Corinth. He's telling everyone about his, his, the real faith in Jesus. And it says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. They're in Asia Minor, okay? And there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so those are some Christianese words. Let's just be real, okay? We've all heard that kind of language before, all right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. 
So do you see their incomplete faith here? They don't have all the information. They didn't have all of it. But I love this. Verse 5, on hearing this, so on hearing about Jesus, about they can be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They went from an incomplete faith to a real, real faith. And verse 7 says there were about 12 men in all. Now, here's the thing about uh, like these different perspectives on faith. They could have been like, oh, okay, you're asking me about baptism? Yes, I received a baptism. Sure did. And they could have left it at that. Oh, you're asking me if I've been baptized. Yes, I have. I've been baptized. Baptism... But they only had the one of repentance, right? Baptism is not just about being sorry for our sins. That's what often drives uh, students and adults and, and you know, people who are able to make the decision for themselves. What often drives them to baptism is because they're like, man, I feel really bad about some of the stuff I've done. And that's, that's, a, good, that's a good heart uh, movement there. It sure is. But baptism is not just about you feel really bad about that and you want to get away from that, the repentance part. Baptism that Paul is talking about here, it testifies about a real faith, a complete faith that Jesus lived, that he died for us, right? That he died, that he rose again, that he has a resurrected life. Baptism identifies with the death, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, not just about I feel bad for things I've done. So they had an incomplete faith, and Paul is filled in the rest of the story, and their response is, I want that. I want that. And so, you know, they, they realize, hold, you know, we don't have the whole picture. We've got to have this. So they're baptized. He prayed for them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is evident that they now have a real faith. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue And he spoke boldly there for three months. In other writings, what you find is that they actually invited Paul to come and teach there. So now he's come, and he's there for three months. And it says he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way they spoke out against the way five different times in the book of acts christianity people who followed jesus it was talked about the way that's what it was referred to so not only did they hear the message so now you can see like different perspective on faith here they heard the message they wanted nothing to do with it they 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 chose to lack faith and not only that but then they're like and we're going to badmouth it we're going to talk so bad about it Three months he's there. You know what I love about this in verse uh, 8 there where it says that Paul argued persuasively about the kingdom of God? You know, in the culture they were in, it was, this was how discourse happened. This is how learning happened and how information was out as people would stand up and they would teach and, and preach. But people would go, hey, I got a question. What about? And like that was very common and normal. So when it says he argued persuasively, it wasn't that he was angry about it. It's just that when a question was asked or maybe even a rebuttal, he would have a, a persuasive answer for the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, 
Oftentimes, I think we, when someone like me stands up here and says, hey, you should tell people about Jesus, we often think, well, I don't know how to argue persuasively for Jesus, so I'm not going to do that. I want to say this, though, because we even see it in this text. Paul argued persuasively. Paul, brilliant guy, brilliant. He argued persuasively. Did everyone believe because of Paul's persuasive argument? No. Some did and some didn't. You know what that does for me? That takes a little pressure off. You know what we need to do, according to Scripture, is we need to have a ha- an answer for the hope that we believe. We have, we have a be able to go, this is what I believe, this is why, and then we need to trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. That's, what, that's what's happening here. Let God work in the hearts of every person. Paul isn't the one doing the saving. So, so it says... Um, they maligned the way. Some didn't believe and they maligned the way. You see this, the negative side of a lacking faith here. I'll say it again. Said it with the drifting part. The gospel always chooses us, always forces us to choose. The gospel forces us to choose. You don't hear the message of Jesus Christ and go, um, I don't really know. I'm going to be neutral on that. You're either saying yes or you're saying no. You're either in a place where you're ready to believe or you're in a place where you're not. There is no neutral ground. There is no neutrality. There's no agree to disagree, right? There's none of that. The text shows us some believe, some became stubborn. Some rejected the message. All right, the rest of verse 9. So, because now it's gotten weird there at the synagogue, Paul leaves the synagogue. All right, you're not going to believe. You're going to speak bad about the way. We'll go. Those who believe will go with me. And they go to this like lecture hall. It's not a Christian place or anything like that. They just, it's like the first church plant or ever. You know, like they go to this lecture hall and he stays there for two years. This is what the text says. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them and had discussions daily. Wouldn't that be awesome to be there in the, in the hall of Tyrannus and be part of the discussions that Paul had with the people? And this went on for two years, and, and this, is, this is what happens. So it says, the text says, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord. Everybody heard the word of the Lord. Did everyone go to the hall of Tyrannus? No. Did a lot of people? Yes. Two years? You know they did. But what happened is, is that people were believing and they were going out like embers out of a fire and they were going all over Asia Minor. The church at Colossae, the church in uh, Laodicea, all of those, they became churches because of what happened in Ephesus while Paul was teaching and people were believing and they were going out and establishing these churches. So this is why it went all over so that everyone had heard the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone had heard this. This is his longest continual ministry in one place, by the way, just for you uh, nerds that like to know that information, like me. Verse 11, God, if you like it underlined in your Bibles, that's a good one to underline, God. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Oftentimes when we think about miracles or hear about miracles, especially in our time and age, you know, it's like we're like, wow, what did that person do? What did, what did that ministry do? But no, God does the work. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Paul's just a willing vessel. Paul, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, Paul, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. All right, let's, let's talk about this for a second. 
First of all, isn't just a regular old everyday miracle pretty cool? But Luke, who is a very detailed person, he describes what happens here as extraordinary. This is beyond what, whatever the miracles were that were happening at that time or people knew of. This was even above that. This was extraordinary. And who's doing this? Is it Paul? No. God is working through Paul. By the way, handkerchiefs. Let's just, I'll just talk about this real quick. It is not what you and I think of nowadays. We, when you probably think about handkerchiefs, it might have some sort of special powers that can heal somebody. We think of some lacy, something pretty kind of thing that you had to pay like a seed offering for to get, and then you can go and take it to granny and hope she feels better. But that's not what we're talking about here. The handkerchief that Paul, that they would use from him, it was a sweatband. Paul didn't, Paul didn't have a matching like pocket square with his tie. This wasn't nice. It was a, when you, re, the literal translation, it was a sweatband that, that he would wear on his head. I don't know, it was a do-rag, whatever it was. Like, but it was like that kind of a thing. It was used to collect sweat on his head. And the apron, Paul had a, you know, his, his side gig was, you know, building tents. They did hard work. They traveled. The apron was to kind of stay clean. So this was not pretty, fluffy kind of stuff. This wasn't you got to pay for it to defray the cost to, to have it made. This was like this was an extraordinary moment where God revealed himself in such a way that people would see that God is real. That's what it was. And so Paul is just doing He's just being faithful and God's doing the work. It's extraordinary. Now, here's the deal with this extraordinary work. It was really popular and people talked about it. And then people tried to copycat it. <laughs> and it gets kind of dangerous. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Right? They don't know Jesus. They're just like, we know that Paul says this. Right? It says in verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So these, these sons of this priest, they saw this as like, oh, this is what you say if someone's possessed with a demon. It's an incantation. This is, what you're, this is the, the language, the lingo I talked about. Oh, what you're supposed to say is in the name of Jesus that you know, Paul preaches, come out. And um, you see this. These extraordinary miracles are happening. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them. Y'all, just anybody want that? Anybody up for that? Do um, you want to be in a conversation with the evil spirit? No. But this is what the evil spirit said to these people who had an incomplete faith. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Who are you? See, there's a spiritual world, friends, all around us. There's a spiritual world. The demons, it says in the book of James that, oh, you say you believe in God, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. They quake in their boots. The, the spiritual realm is, there's so many times in Jesus' earthly ministry before he died where 
he would come into a crowd and someone who had been possessed with the demon would be like, look, the son of man, you know, son of God. And Jesus would be like, shh, 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 not time. Don't. They knew this, there's a spiritual reality going on here. And so this, this demon, the demon in this person was like, I know who Jesus is. I've heard of Paul. Who are you? Mm. Then the man who had the evil spirit, this is verse 16, jumped on them and overpowered them all. They got an incomplete faith. They have no power. They have none. There's the power of evil and then there's the power of God, but they don't have the power of God. So they're, they're trying to do battle and they don't, they don't have what they need. Have you ever had a bad day at work? This is a bad day at work. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's a bad day at work. One demon-possessed guy and seven grown men, and he whoops their tail. They had no real power. They were, not, they were, they were using lingo. And they had incomplete faith. It's a dangerous place to be, friends. Verse 17. When this became known, when it became known that um, these seven sons used the name of Jesus that Paul talks about to try and bring out this de demon from this guy, and, and, these, and these seven got their tail whooped, this is, that's what that means. When that became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in es Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Fear. Like, Okay, they, they seem to be really religious, and they even used the name Jesus, but they had no power against this. They were seized with fear. Now, was it fear like, oh, no, Jesus isn't powerful enough. The word of, of God isn't enough. That's not the fear. We read the next part of the sentence explains what this fear was. This was a holy, reverent fear for God because it says, and the name of the Lord was held in high honor. What they knew was is that the name of the Lord had been kind of used loosely without any understanding, without any faith. And now, and, and, it, and it did what it did. So they now held the name of the Lord in high honor. Verse 18, many of those who believed, they believed, they had faith. They now came and they openly confessed what they had done. And what that means is, is they were living in two worlds. They were like, I, I like the Jesus stuff. Paul, I like the teaching. I like what I'm hearing. But they lived in Ephesus. It was a, a cultural center. And, and, you know, sorcery and witchcraft and idol worship and all that was just normal, 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 normal. And they were living in both worlds. And they were like, oh, we, we, weren't, we did not have the name of Jesus up here. We, we were just kind of playing along. Maybe we were covering our bases. I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of like all of them and see if you know, we can be safe that way. But it says, says that they, they believed, they came and they openly confessed what they had done. This is, you know what happened in Ephesus? It just got very real. It just got real. See, I think a reason a lot of us kind of have maybe a drifting faith or an incomplete faith is because... We're just going through the motions. But it's when something gets real, when life 
meets us head on. I mean, I know numerous, numerous stories of people who, who have said to me, in effect, Shannon, I had a drifting faith, and then I got the diagnosis. I got the report back, and it's changed everything. And they're like, I am fully in. I'm fully in. I've also known people who've had that happen, and they were like, and I'm out. I'm out. I'm, if, if I got this diagnosis, God must love me. I'm gone. And, and they never embraced the reality that God's with us in the mountains and the valleys, in the peaks and the valleys, with the highs and the lows of life. And it just got real here. This wasn't playing church anymore. It's what happened here with these people. And some of us might be, you know what, church, yeah, it's cool. It's a good thing. I should do it every now and then. I need to be more spiritual. I need to be a better person, you know, all that. But then something's going to happen in your life, and it's going to be like, oh, this just got real. And your faith in that moment is going to either it's going to lift you up and carry you, or your lack of it's going to destroy you. And I hope that you would run to Jesus, run to him. Run to his word. Run to his people. Ask the body of Christ to walk with you and hold you up with you when things get real. Verse 19. So we know that this is what people were confessing. A number who had practiced sorcery, right? So they were, you know, in all, they had their finger in all the different pots just to make sure. They practiced sorcery. They brought their scrolls, their, their books, their, their things that told them, like, you practice this, you light this candle, whatever it is you do. They brought this together, and they burned them publicly, burned them. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And I know all of you are fully up to date on what a drachma was worth then and the U.S. dollar now. <laughs> Over $2 million dollars. Over $2 million of, of uh, sorcery, of idol worship, of all this, that people who were like, oh no, this just got real. The name of Jesus is real. His work is real. He wants to move in my life. I don't want anything to do with any of that other stuff anymore. I'm all in. And they burned it publicly. You know how humiliating that would probably be? You know how people would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you burning that? It's worth a lot of money, you know. Oh, wh why were you so bad that you're making this public, like, you know, declaration? People who were playing church, but they, they said, no, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. They didn't care how much these books were worth because they had a real encounter with God. A real encounter with God. Which brings us to the question. How do you know are there, some, are there some indicators of a real faith? Of course there are. Of course there are. And I want to show you a couple, again, based on the text. Four quick indicators. How do you know if you have a real faith? First one is this. Is that real faith, real faith cannot be faked forever. It can't. It can't be faked forever. You can do it for a little while. You can, fake, you can fake me out. You can fake out your community group. You can maybe fake out your spouse. But you cannot fake your faith forever if it's real. You know, if, if you don't have a, a true faith, then that means you've got like maybe a public persona and then a private persona. 
or a, a Sunday persona and then every other day, you know, whatever it is. Or if it's good for business, you'll be the Christian business person. And if it's not, then you'll just be whatever. And I'm not, and it, you know, it might be a kind of a, a benign, neutral thing. It's not like you're out there doing sorcery or anything like that. But if you're living two different worlds, eventually it's going to be seen. It's going to be recognized. It's going to leak out. It's going to show up. It's just the way it is. You can, Romans 2.16, uh, it tells us that God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. That's my uh, version of that. You know, when Snapchat first came out, it was like, oh, it's so cool because you can send it and then it goes away. And then we found out about this thing called digital footprint. <laughs> and everyone, there's a digital footprint for everything, right? Friends, there's a spiritual footprint too. There is. There's a spiritual footprint and our secret life apart from God, especially if it's in direct opposition to him, it's going to be revealed. It is. So if you're faking your faith with the public life and the private life, you know, God, God doesn't judge just the parts of our lives that we allow people to see. He judges it all. He sees it all. He knows it all. All. I told you today might be a little uncomfortable. He knows it all. And he's going to judge our secret life. We're going to be held accountable, scripture, t- scripture tells us, for every thought, every breath, every word, every deed, every action. We're going to be held accountable for that before the Lord. And that is a scary proposition. Unless you know 1 John 1, 9. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when he looks on our lives, he sees Christ, not us. Real faith cannot be faked forever. So that's something to consider. Do I have a real faith? Well, to work through that. Do I have two different sides, three different sides? Is there a whole section I don't want anybody to see? It needs to be given over to the Lord, confessed, repented of. Another indicator of, of real faith is that real faith will respect the name and the reputation of Jesus Christ. Real faith respects his name and his reputation. We are so, so concerned about our name and our reputation. And that's not a horrible thing. Like no one wants their kid to go off and be a knucklehead and then be like, oh man, they're going to tell our last name and I wasn't going to know. Like we want, you know, it's, we want to have a good name and a good reputation, sure, but not over and above Jesus, not over and above Jesus Christ. You should care more about the name and the reputation of Jesus than your name and your reputation. And if your name and your reputation takes a hit because you're lifting up the name of Jesus, then so be it. In the process of this, you're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. And when we blow it, because of the name of Jesus, if that's the name that we have tagged on to our name, If we say we follow Jesus, when we mess up, we need to own it. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? In the name of Jesus, I will make this right. I will do what I can to to put this back on track. We need to be people who are willing to do that. 
because there's a reason for this. People don't reject Jesus because of his reputation. They reject Jesus because of ours. Our reputation will do one of two things. It will either draw people to Jesus, it'll draw them to Jesus, or it will repel them. So live a life that encourages people to know Jesus. Real faith respects the name and reputation of Jesus. Here's a third indicator of real faith. Real faith is reflected in your desires and in your attitudes. If you have a real faith, then what you're going to find is you're going to have desires that are things of God. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, you, that here's what changes when, when you have real faith. Your desires do change. They certainly do. And it's not that all of your sinful desires just magically go away. It's that before, without faith, all you had was sinful desires. You might be a nice person, but you didn't have godly desires. If you know Jesus Christ and suddenly your desires change and now there's these spiritual desires that are popping up and oftentimes they're in direct conflict with what you'd been used to. And that's called the journey of faith. Friends, welcome. <laughs> this is the life we live into. We, we, we'll do this battle till the day, we, the, the day we draw our last breath on this earth. But now we have the power to do battle. So our desires and our attitudes are real. They're, they're reflected through real faith. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2 and, and 3, it says that for us not to live our earthly lives for evil desires, but instead to, for the will of God. That should be our goal. And then verse 3 of 1 Peter 4 says, we've spent enough time doing what pagans do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and idolatry, otherwise known as Saturday. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Whew. Listen, you can come into a conflict with a person or you're having to deal with somebody and you can come into that with your attitude or with the attitude of Jesus Christ. When real faith, if we're practicing this, we're living into this, it's going to be reflected, it's going to be seen in our desires and our attitudes. It doesn't mean we're always going to get it right, but it means now the, the presence, the possibility, the hope for us to pursue God and to exude him in, in our desires and our attitudes is now there. So real faith is reflected in our desires and attitudes. And here's the final indicator of faith I see in this passage today, and it's today just as well. And it's this, real faith will show up in your finances. Now, this can make people uncomfortable. I know it does. But you know what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6? He was talking, and he said, listen, you, you've got to, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God. You've got to choose one or the other. That doesn't mean that you, you, if you choose God, that you're like, I'll, I'll be poor and destitute the rest of my life, and I'll, I'll throw money away. Like, no, that's not what it means. It means God first. God first. You've got to choose. You can't serve both. 
In Acts 19, what we see here in Ephesus is these people were radically transformed by Jesus Christ. So much so that they were like, I don't care what anyone says, I don't care what they think. Publicly, I'm going and I'm torching what I have invested millions into. And I'm done with it. You know what? I don't know if a lot of us would fault if some of these people were like, you know what, that's awesome. You love Jesus now. Why don't you get on eBay or Facebook Marketplace and see if you can recoup a little bit of that money? I mean, someone out there probably wants your sorcery books. They were like, no, 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 it's gone. It's done. It is of no worth. It has no value. It will not have its place on this earth anymore. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to them. God, you can have all of me, all of me, every area of my life. This was their act. You have all of me. And what most of us, what many of us do is we say the words, God, you can have all of me. We say those words, but what we mean is, God, you can have all of me except this. You can have everything, but don't touch my money. and Don't tell me who I can sleep with, who I can date, who I can marry. You leave those alone. You can have everything else, everything else. We say the words, God, you have all of me, but we don't often mean it. And what I see here in the text in Acts 19 are people who are radically transformed by Jesus. The name of Jesus is revered. It's lifted up high. And they want nothing to do with things that are against God. So they get rid of it. They're done with it. Didn't matter the cost. If your faith has never changed the way you look at your relationships with other people, if your faith has never changed the way you look at your money? Have you fully embraced the faith that God has for us? He wants all of us. All of us. We need to think about this. We need to ponder this. We need to consider this. Real faith will show up in our relationships. It'll show up in our finances. We need to wrestle with this because my hope, my prayer for all of us is for us to know who we are the, the possibility for your name tag is to be child of God. That's who you can be. It's what Jesus Christ came to do. That's who you are. And then if you don't know where you are, where are you right now? Do you have an incomplete faith? Are you drifting away? Are you searching have you rejected? Where are you, friends? I want you to, I want us to embrace real faith, abiding faith, life-changing faith. Do not go it alone. To be in this together, to embrace the real, life-changing, world-changing. We see it in the text. Enemy-defeating faith. And it's found and it's lived in and through Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus.
Let's pray. Father, we see in your word that real faith, it's not stagnant. It is, it's dynamic. It's not neutral. It's moving. It's real. It's a, it's a journey. It certainly is a journey of sanctification for all of us. It's a process. It's not that we arrive at a place. It's that we continually pursue you until the day we see you face to face. Becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And when we don't, we confess it, we repent of it, and we start a new day again. Thank you for the risen son this morning. Thank you for the risen son of Jesus today. Lord, would your, would your presence be real to us? Would it be evident in our love and our actions and our words and our deeds and everything we do that we would have an impact on the world on the world? For the name of Jesus. God, we want to draw close to you. We want to be transformed by your overwhelming grace. God, would we come home to you today? Come home to you today. No more in one world and in the other. No more half in, half out. No more, oh, I'll wait and see. No more drifting. No more neutrality. That we would run home to you today. That our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, we, we trust that you'll work in us. That you will complete the work in us. And that wherever we go, whatever we do, we will shine the light the hope, the promise of Jesus Christ. You deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. You deserve our prayers right now. Our voices lifted up to you. Our knees on the ground in prayer before you, in confession, in repentance, in declaring your goodness to us. Like the prodigal running home. God, would you continue to minister to us now? spirit of the living God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.